Sunday Night Science. Well, if you are a woman, I wonder if you have considered at any point freezing your eggs or maybe you've got a a younger woman in your life that you've been having conversations with about this topic. Maybe you've even done it. Chances are someone close to you has or has thought about it because more women in Australia are freezing their eggs than ever before. There are many reasons. Some women do it because they don't have a partner, others because they want to put off child rearing until later in life. But what is the best time to do it? Some new Australian research reckons the right time is uh, somewhere between the age of 32 and 38. We'll explore why in just a moment and also have a look at the chances of success. And have you ever wondered what happens to all those eggs that aren't ever used? Joining me now is Lyndall Byford from the Australian Science Media Centre once again. Hi, Lyndall. Welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Suzanne. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, when did it become common or at least people started looking at freezing their eggs? Yeah, well, egg freezing is one of those kind of unknown, amazing Australian science success stories. So Australians have been pioneers in egg freezing. So the first baby to be born from frozen eggs was actually back in 1986, and it was here in Australia, thanks to a pioneering scientist at Flinders University, and that resulted in twins being born. So really huge news around the world. Um, but then lots of other scientists sort of tried it, didn't have much success, and it actually kind of ground to a bit of a halt in the early 90s because IVF was taking off. And people had been sort of successfully freezing sperm for decades. So that seemed like a much easier technique, sort of freezing whole embryos. Um, But then another amazing Australian came along, um, a scientist called Deborah Gook, um, and she had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer and that cancer treatment destroyed her chances of having children. And that happening to a close friend really inspired Deborah to try and revisit that earlier work and improve on it. So, yeah, egg freezing really started as a way for women to face facing those sort of serious medical issues like cancer to to keep those options open for having a baby later in life. And um, Dr Gook opened the world's first egg bank at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne in 1994, and that really was the world's first place that women facing that kind of treatment could go to preserve their fertility later in life. And, it, and and look, it kind of ticked along, but it really jumped into the mainstream in 2012 when the technique stopped being labelled as experimental um, and that pushed it into the mainstream. And a couple of years later, Facebook and Apple announced they were letting female employees have egg freezing as like an additional benefit for getting a job at those sort of big tech companies. And that also really pushed it out into something that wasn't just done for those sort of medical reasons like cancer, but is something that women could um, consider if they were delaying having children. And, And look, really, since that time, it's just taken off, as you said. Yeah, certainly I've got I've got a friend who's done it. I know quite a few other people who are considering it too. So how how does it work, Linda? I mean, you can't just stick an egg in the freezer. No, you can't. And that is the problem with eggs. They are very delicate. So 
unlike sperm, which is very small, eggs are big and they contain a lot of water. And when you freeze water, it forms ice crystals and those ice crystals can shred and burst all the delicate structures in a cell. So, I mean, anyone that's ever put like raspberries or something like that in the freezer knows that when you then take them out and defrost them, they're, they go all sort of soft and mushy, which is fine if it's just raspberries, but not so great if it's an egg that you're trying to conceive with. So that's, that's why freezing the eggs was so hard and it really took all that time to find a way of reliably freezing and thawing eggs without them being damaged by these ice crystals. So um, Dr. Gook's method that she invented was essentially to use um, fluids that acts as a bit of a like antifreeze, if you like, um, and replace some of the water in the eggs. And then they're frozen really, really slowly. And that helps to stop these ice crystals forming in the first place. So is the technology still changing and getting better, Linda, or are we sort of back with, you know, what Dr. Gook gave us basically? Nope, it's definitely getting better all the time um, and scientists have been sort of refining that initial technique um, to improve the success rates, getting sort of better chemicals and fluids that can be added into those eggs. But they've also developed um, a second technique which is used in lots of fertility clinics now and it's something called vitrification Um, And that's almost the opposite. So instead of really slow freezing, that is super fast freezing the egg. And that can also stop these ice crystals forming. So with that technique, they also use these amazing little devices. They look a bit like straws. Um, What that does is it limits the amount of fluid that's actually around the egg. Um, And then they plunge the egg really quickly into liquid nitrogen and it sort of snap freezes them. And it means that they freeze before ice crystals have a chance to form. So, all you know, we're getting new techniques all the time. Uh, Lentil Byford is with me from the Australian Science Media Centre. And Lentil, how long do frozen eggs last? For how many years can you go back and pull it out of the freezer and go, yeah, I'll, I'll give this one a crack? Um, well, we really don't know. <laughs> At the moment, we don't have a cutoff date. The theory is indefinitely. Um, they're really, really stable at that sort of minus 196 that they're, they're kept in in the liquid nitrogen. Um, we know there has been a case of a woman in Argentina who had a successful pregnancy with an egg that was frozen 14 years earlier wow. using that slow technique that Australia pioneered. So um, that's a pretty long time to, to have something in deep freeze. But But in Australia, eggs are usually stored for um, up to 10 years. And after that 10-year period, um, in in quite a few states, women have to sort of apply to have their case reviewed and to extend that storage. Um, But just last year, the UK changed their law to allow eggs to be frozen up to 55 years, which is an incredible amount of time. 55 years. 55 years. So, you know, by that stage, obviously, it wouldn't necessarily be the woman that donated the egg having the baby. It might be that, you know, um, you know, they might give it to somebody else. But um, yeah, that's a huge amount of time. And we know um, from frozen embryos, there's been a case of an embryo being frozen for 30 years and that being successfully used. So, um, yeah, it's definitely mm. possible. Mm. Uh, this is Sunday Night Science. Uh, I want to bring uh, Associate Professor Alex Polyakov, who is a fertility expert from the University of Melbourne, into our conversation now. Alex, uh, good evening. Welcome to you. Thank you for having me. Um, now, uh, Alex, this is your area of, of expertise. Are you seeing an increase in the number of women who are interested in freezing their eggs? Definitely. There is an exponential increase in actual fact. I mean, every year it's 
almost doubling or at least 50% increase in, in the number of people who come and see us for what we call elective or social egg freezing. As Lyndall pointed out, this technique was initially pioneered in Melbourne at the Royal Women's Hospital, where I work closely with Deborah Gook, in fact. Um, and it was initially done only in cases where there was real threat to fertility, such as before chemotherapy in, in women who have various cancers. Uh, but various developments, as as mentioned, vitrification specifically, uh, made it much, much more successful. And so American Society of Reproductive Medicine deemed it routine practice rather than experimental in 2012. And the knowledge about this is is spreading rapidly among among younger women who are good candidates and so we have a significant increase in women who are coming to see us to assess their fertility but also those who decide to freeze their eggs for future use for various reasons yeah what kind of stories do you hear from those women about why they're there and why they're uh, exploring the idea of freezing their eggs well this is actually a very good question i mean a lot of people assume that it's women who are career-driven, who, who want to delay having children because they have their studies to complete or careers to progress. But in actual fact, the most likely reason that we hear is the absence of, of stable male partner. And women are worried that they might miss out completely if they don't do something about it. And of course, once you meet someone, it takes a few years to get married, to decide to have children. And so women in their early and mid-30s are quite concerned about the options available to them. And they, they usually have people that they know who may have required IVF or couldn't get pregnant at all later in life. And so that's what's driving it. I think it's mostly the absence of, of partner rather than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I have some friends who had their child via IVF. I took maybe it was it was 16 rounds or something like that. So I, I guess a lot of people think well, having that egg frozen there rather than trying with the older eggs might end up saving me a lot of heartache and, and money later on. So, um, Alex, roughly what percentage of women go on to actually use these frozen eggs? Are there a lot who sort of set it up as an insurance policy that they never collect on? Well, that's that's exactly the criticism of this technique. We don't have a lot of data at the moment because it's it's fairly new. And uh, in the last three or four years, it, it has become quite popular. But before then, it wasn't. So we don't really have good information as to how many women would come back. From overseas experience, from various studies, it appears that only about 25% of women actually come back to use their eggs later in life. And this is one of the main criticisms in that a lot of women freeze their eggs, but only a minority would actually use it. And so the cost effectiveness of this this whole technique comes into question. And, and I think that's sort of one of the, the reasons why there's been a review that says actually the best age to, to freeze them is probably between 32 and 38, even though your eggs are in much better shape when you're, say, 25. It's at, at 25, you probably um, are less certain, I guess, that you're going to need to come back and, and use those eggs later. So it might be just sort of throwing money away for something you'll never need. Well, that is exactly the point. So there is a bit of a balance. If you freeze your eggs when you're younger, 
the chance of having a baby from those eggs is higher because the eggs are better quality and you can get more. But on the other hand, if you do it when you're younger, you're much less likely to use them because in the next five, 10 years, most women would actually meet someone and have a family and decide to have children naturally or decide not to have children at all. Uh, while in older women, let's say over 40, uh, the chance of that happening is a bit smaller, is a bit smaller, but also freezing eggs at that age will probably not produce a child because the quality of eggs is not as good. But also you need much more eggs to actually have a realistic chance of producing a baby in the long run. Uh, now, we've had a couple of people wanting to know how much it costs to um, to freeze eggs. And I actually had uh, one SMS from someone who said, look, my 36-year-old daughter who has endometriosis uh, in New York and her friends froze their eggs. It was very expensive. What, what, what kind of costs are involved? Well, there are two categories of people. First of all, if someone has a medical condition that might reduce their fertility long term, they may be able to access Medicare funding for at least some of the cost. Uh, and if that was the case, for, for example, someone with significant endometriosis may be eligible for Medicare funding for egg freezing. Someone who does it for, for social reasons, so there is no medical reason to freeze eggs, there is no government or private insurance funding. And so costs vary quite a bit between clinics, but somewhere between five and $10,000 per cycle. And of course, a cycle could produce 20 eggs or it could produce five or less. And so it's a little bit difficult to estimate how many eggs you need to freeze to have a realistic chance of, of having a baby later in life. And the cost, of course, will vary because some women may require more than one cycle to have enough eggs for a decent chance of producing a baby. We usually talk about somewhere between 10 and 20 eggs in women in the mid-30s to, to produce roughly about 80% chance of having a baby. So the cost will vary as to how many cycles you might need to achieve that number. Wow. And and there is counselling, I understand, for people who, you know, turn up a, at a fertility clinic and say, look, I'm interested in freezing my eggs. What, what kind of a process do you have to go through in, in order to do that? It's it's usually quite straightforward. So if, if someone comes to see me to discuss egg freezing, we, we have a discussion and then they would have various tests, which include what's called ovarian reserve testing. And that is usually done with the blood test and an ultrasound to estimate how many eggs it is possible to get from a cycle of, of egg freezing. And then we have another chat to, to see if they want to proceed. If they decide to proceed with treatment, uh, then they have counseling about uh, what is involved in, in the actual cycle. Uh, but also the implications as to how it will work, how long they can be stored for. Because as Lyndall mentioned, in Victoria, for example, uh, gametes, which is eggs and sperm and even embryos, can only be frozen for up to five years, and then you can get an extension for another five. Uh, but after that, it can be tricky to keep them frozen. So that's one of the aspects that gets talked about during the counseling session. Uh, but also the implications... And the most important thing to remember is that 
it's not a guarantee. So even if someone has a lot of eggs frozen, it doesn't mean that they will definitely have a child if they use those eggs, because we got to remember that some eggs that are frozen may not survive the thaw, and then some of them may not produce an embryo. Some of them may not progress to be a good quality embryo. And even if you have good quality embryos, not all of them become babies. And so if you freeze, let's say, 15 eggs, you might end up with no good embryos out of that batch. So this is something that needs to be stressed to women who come for this treatment, that they, it's, it's likely that a child would be produced from those frozen eggs, but it's not a guarantee. And that is, in essence, what the counseling is about. So they, so that people who do this don't have unrealistic expectations. Uh, my guest is Associate Professor Alex Polyakov, a fertility expert from the University of Melbourne. Also on the line is Lyndall Byford from the Australian Science Media Centre. We're doing Sunday Night Science and talking about egg freezing here on Nightlife. I know there is a lot of new technology that enables, for example, embryos to be screened uh, to, you know, before they're implanted to see if they're viable. I mean, all this screening that you can get now to see what kind of genetic diseases you may be passing on. Is there a a way of actually screening the quality of the eggs that you are taking out or is it just a kind of lucky dip to see if they're any good or not even before you pop them in the freeze? Fortunately, there are no genetic tests that can be done on an egg itself. Uh, when the eggs are collected, they go to our lab scientists who look at them and some eggs that we collect may be immature and some of them progress to be mature and can be frozen. Some of them do not progress and they're not frozen. Uh, all you can say is that a, an egg in a dish is mature and therefore it's ready to be fertilized. But apart from that, there are no tests available to to look at the genetic component or the quality of the eggs that are frozen. And that is one of the issues, I suppose, because you might have a lot of eggs in the freezer, but you don't know how many of them will actually produce a good quality embryo that can be transplanted. Now, interesting question from Donna, who says, can a prepubescent female have eggs frozen for use later if she's undergoing medical treatment, which may affect fertility? Is an egg mature enough prior to puberty? Yeah, this is this is a very good question. And this is where Deborah Gook's work is is very important. We can't get mature eggs from prepubescent girls, but what we can do, we can do a procedure called a laparoscopy and take a part of one of the ovaries and freeze that tissue. And then when the, the child grows up and they're in remission, if their ovarian reserve is damaged or they don't have functioning ovaries, that frozen tissue can be transplanted back and it would produce mature eggs. Wow. But that, yeah. It's incredible. How long has that been available? Uh, it's actually been available almost as long as the egg freezing. And obviously it's only done in a setting where chemotherapy or another fertility treatment or, or another cancer treatment needs to be done immediately. So there is no option of doing a cycle and freezing eggs. Mm. And so we at the Royal Women's Hospital do it quite often, probably about once a month. 
yeah. where we do a laparoscopy, take an ovary, not, not just prepubescent girls, but anybody who needs chemotherapy straight away, for example. And, and we freeze that tissue. And then when they're in remission, and if their ovaries are no longer functioning, we do another laparoscopy, thaw that tissue and put it back. And then it starts functioning and we collect eggs and they can go through the sort of routine IVF process to try to get pregnant. Obviously, it's very specialized and it's not done very often. Mm. But Royal Women's Hospital is probably the, the biggest center in the country who's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So say you've certainly, taken, yeah. certainly, there are a number of babies born from, from that technique. Yeah. So say you've taken some ovary tissue out of, from someone who's, I don't know, um, 10. Uh, maybe you, you haven't put it back in for 20 years. Will the eggs that are coming out, I mean, will they be the same age as, as the, the person that the ovary has been put back into? Or I mean, how do those eggs age compared to the, the, the person's body? Well, well it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. It's impossible to really say for sure. I mean, in the prepubescent ovary, the eggs are dormant. They're not, they're not really functioning as yet. And so when we put the tissue back in, the, the hormone stimulation that is given sort of wakes them up and they, they start being produced. Uh, we, we don't have, I don't, I don't believe we had any babies born as yet from, from this technique, uh, but we, we certainly have a lot of tissue samples stored and waiting and being available for the future. I mean, it's possible that in the future we won't need to put that tissue back. Perhaps one day we can stimulate the tissue in the dish to produce as many eggs as we need. And so that, that would be a major step forward for, for this technique. Uh, talking about egg freezing here on Nightlife tonight. Now, so what does happen to unused eggs then, um, Alex? If um, I guess after you said, what, it's five years at the moment and then you have to apply for an extension, what happens at the end of the five years if you haven't used your eggs? Well, this is, this is once again one of the issues, and we did some work on this to look at the various options. At the moment, uh, there are three choices. One is that if you no longer want your eggs to be stored, they can be discarded. And obviously that brings benefit to no one. And the women who have stored those eggs spend quite a bit of money keeping them in the freezer. Second option, which at the moment appears to be the most popular, is that the choice is there to donate those eggs to science. And so those eggs will be used for various research projects and training of embryologists in our lab. And that, that seems to be the most popular choice. But the third choice, which I think should be promoted, is that those eggs that are no longer needed can be donated to either someone you know or just through the clinic. You can just say, you know, I don't need those eggs anymore, but I'm happy for someone else to have them. And there is a huge unmet need for, for donor eggs in Australia. And so our research essentially concentrated on, on this idea that there are going to be a lot of eggs that are not going to be used from those women who freeze them for non-medical reasons. And there is a huge number of women who would like to have a donor egg, but find it difficult to find a donor. And we thought that it would be perhaps a good idea to to combine the two in a sense.
Uh, yeah, one of my texters said, uh, unfortunately, Australia doesn't have an egg bank to complement the sperm bank. But is there a, a, a kind of central register if a woman said, look, no, I don't want them. I don't have a friend who needs them. You can donate them to someone. Is there a, a mechanism for actually doing that? Absolutely. I mean, I I am also part of Melbourne IVF and we do have a, an egg bank. And if someone wants to donate their eggs, they can come through the clinic and donate their eggs. Obviously, that is done altruistically. So there is no payment available to the donors. And if someone stored their eggs and they don't want to use them, there is an option for them to donate it through clinic as well. And we will find the recipient for those eggs. We, we have quite a long waiting list for donor eggs. And it happens occasionally, but not as commonly as we would like. How many eggs would you say, I don't know, a month or a year are actually being you know, donated to science or, or discarded? Well, because this technology is not very old, uh, majority of women who have frozen the eggs in the past 10 years haven't reached that legislative limit as yet. And so it's, it's only a small minority. Uh, and Women, even if they meet someone and have a baby, naturally, they often hold on to those frozen eggs for a bit longer. And so we don't have a good sense as to how many eggs are donated or discarded. Uh, but in years to come, it will it will be a lot. Yeah. Do you, do you have an idea of roughly how many eggs there might be in storage across the country? Uh, tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. Absolutely. I mean, the number of cycles that we do, I, I can't quite recall the exact statistics, but it would be in order of about 1,000 to 1,500 uh, per year, and that's just our clinic. If you multiply that by 10, which is the average how many eggs we get from a cycle, that's already, you know, 10 to 15,000 eggs. Mm. And what do you think the shortage of donor eggs in Australia is? What is the unmet need? Yeah. I, I think it's 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 drastic. It's very, very high. I mean, there are a lot of women who reach the end of their reproductive life in their mid-40s who have tried IVF. And of course, IVF doesn't work particularly well for women in that age uh, with the chance of pregnancy per cycle probably in the order of 5 to 10%. And so a lot of those women either remain childless or they find their own donor or they go on our waiting list for a what's called the clinic recruited donor. A lot of women go overseas. That is that is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I am wondering too, say you happen to be the lucky recipient of one of these, you know, donated eggs. Again, I mean, I've got a friend who's going through the process and she's, you know, got sperm from America. Oh, my God, all the things she knows about this, you know, this sperm donor and all the tests he's undergone, um, all about his, his education, all this kind of thing. Is that kind of information available if you are donating an egg to somebody else? Do you do you get to kind of choose your egg donor or is it just, you know, you'll take what you can get because that's how short we are in Australia? Well, I think in Australia, it really is you will take what you can get. But also because the donations are usually anonymous, I mean, the children produced from those eggs will be able to find who the donor was. But the recipients don't get a great deal of information. They would get perhaps the age, education, uh, ethnicity, but it's it's not an extensive amount of information that you get about a donor. And we also do all the necessary 
screening for, for genetic diseases, etc., before we allow eggs to be used in a donor recipient situation. And of course, the donors, if they decide to donate, they need to undergo further counseling and as do the recipients. So it's, it's, it's actually very, very regulated space in, in Australia, but especially in Victoria. Mm. Now, Alex, um, I think we mentioned earlier that only 25% of women who freeze their eggs go back to use them. Um, one of my texters wants to know, do we know how many of the 25% then successfully end up making a baby? It's, it's a very good question, and it, it varies greatly with the age at which the eggs are frozen and also whether the technique used was slow freezing or vitrification, because with slow freezing, it didn't work particularly well. I mean, it worked to an extent, but not, not greatly. With vitrification, we looked at these data recently, and what we found is that if someone freezes their eggs between the age, you know, before the age of 38 or 39, uh, they produce roughly the same results as fresh eggs. And so whatever the outcome for a fresh IVF cycle is for that age group is, is the same if you use frozen eggs. And, and that is really quite an achievement. Uh, because the, the freezing itself doesn't seem to decrease the, the chances. Uh, absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, I've been speaking with Associate Professor Alex Polyakov, who is a fertility expert from the University of Melbourne. I might just go back to Lyndall Byford from the Australian Science Media Centre just to, to close this conversation out. Um, Lyndall, I, I think you've really observed, haven't you, that this is an area where there are a lot of misconceptions, this idea that freezing your eggs is a bit of an insurance policy um, and something maybe every you know young woman should be rushing to do seems to be out there. Do you think that we really should be uh, talking about the kind of information that is being disseminated about egg freezing? Absolutely. So this is one of those things I think anyone that's on social media and of the right age, you know, you might see adverts for this sort of thing or, um, you know, influencers starting to share their experiences of going through this. And it's it's often presented as if it's some kind of guarantee that you can kind of freeze your eggs now and that, you know, in 10 years' time if you want a baby magically, you know, those eggs will, will produce a baby. And, and as Alex has talked about, you know, that's really not the reality. You know, this this is not a guarantee of having a baby at the other end. And even um, when we look at the information that's available on some of the IVF clinic websites, there was a, a study done in Australia that really analysed that quality of information on these clinic websites and, and rated a lot of it as sort of poor to moderate. So, you know, the way that, that this is almost being sold to women is, is quite concerning. And I think having those kind of um, serious conversations with, with a doctor going to see someone like Alex, going and actually seeking that medical advice is, is really important because a lot of the information that's out there, you know, like anything on the internet, you, you really um, can't necessarily believe everything that, that you read. And if you are serious about going down this route, it's really important to have those conversations. Yeah. Uh, Lyndall, thank you for being with us tonight. Lyndall Byford from the Australian Science Media Centre and uh, also Associate Professor Alex Polyakov, fertility expert from the University of Melbourne. Uh, thanks to you as well, Alex. Welcome to Nightlife, the first hour. 